Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Skylar Holt Show with your host, none other than me, Skylar Holt. It's uh, It's been a little bit. It has been a few weeks, and that's really just because nothing's been going on. The whole world seemed to figure it out. I mean, Congress has done nothing but pass effective, efficient, and cogent bills. There has been you know, little to no violence in the world. And prices are falling everywhere. And no, that's not it. That isn't it at all. Nothing has slowed down at all. Um, I've just been, I've just been out of it for a little bit. But here I am, new episode, ready to dig into a ton of stuff. Shout out to Connor Manning, uh, definitely encouraging me, reaching out, asking, "Hey, when's the new episode?" And he's not the only one. So really appreciate. Everyone who's keeping tabs on the episodes, keeping tabs on me, it means a lot. And let's just let's just get into it. Domestic stuff, right? Mike Johnson, he is the Speaker of the House. He's been in the job for over a month now. And what has he accomplished? Well, the government's funded, right? We don't have to go into the end of the year before Christmas with a funding emergency, you know, a shutdown looming over us. This is a little bit outside of the norm, but with a continuing resolution, he pushed it until the beginning of next year. There's some conditions on that. You know, there's some deadlines for different uh, funding bills that need to be passed and, and, and before then and everything. So we'll, we'll see how he gets that done. He's in an interesting position. Usually the speaker of the house, they have a lot of people backing them. Right now, Mike Johnson, he did get the votes. He did get the support from inside Congress, but he doesn't have like a super PAC behind him pushing or, you know, he, he doesn't have any way to hand out campaign donations or use his PAC to fund different people's campaigns to get things done. And a lot of times that's what the speaker's able to do. He has a lot of influence. He has a lot of power in being able to say, hey, so-and-so from North Dakota. Look, you're running in a contested race this season, and uh, I need you to be on my side for these next few votes. Think you can do that? I'll make sure you stick around, right? He's not able to have those conversations because he doesn't have those people backing him. So it, it will be interesting to see what kind of um, power he can accumulate in the House, especially with such a slim majority in the House of Representatives, right? The Republicans only have a few more representatives now than the Democrats. And this slim majority is exactly what caused Speaker McCarthy to be pushed out in the first place because a very extreme, and, you know, I don't really like that word extreme. I think we throw it around all the time, so maybe I should find something else. Um, very animated. But in this case, I think they were completely wrong, right? I think they were acting ridiculous. And, uh, you know, a small group on the Republican side, they felt that the promises made to them were not being fulfilled, and they were going to get Speaker McCarthy out by any means necessary. And you know what? It was mostly personal, right? They wanted to frame it as, you know, this is this is all about the American people giving them what they deserve. But it turns out that Mike Johnson's in the same 
position that Kevin McCarthy is. He's working with the same slim majority, a little bit, you know, slimmer now, but he's working with that same slim majority and the same inability to negotiate with Democrats that McCarthy was in before. So are the bills that are going to be pushed forward and the actions that he's going to take, you know, the cadence that he's going to be able to keep with uh, with legislating, is, is it going to be significantly different than McCarthy? Uh, no, no, it's probably going to be pretty close to exactly the same as what McCarthy would have done before he was ousted. Well, now, now it's to be seen, right? He's solved for the time being the funding issue, which, interesting enough, was a huge reason why McCarthy was sent out, um, you know, working with Dems to get funding, you know, actually pushed through. And here Mike Johnson is doing it, and nobody seems to bat an eye, which I agree with what they've done. I, I think it's better to keep the government running to avoid the actual, you know, ridiculous grinding halt that comes when the government shuts down. But what's going on right now is really a personnel issue, right? We got a little bit of a an HR issue going on in the House solved by uh, a recent firing. George Santos from New York, and the first time in a long time, and one of only a few people in this club was actually expelled from the House of Representatives. So George Santos from New York, he is an interesting character. He's a liar, and that is well documented. Nobody disputes this fact. Republicans, Democrats, right? He got, he got, uh, oh, a major. Well, I mean, a majority of Republicans voted him out, right? As well as all of the Democrats, I believe. This is this is basically over. Um, the lies that he's told, but more so than the lies, the charges that are up against him. So he he's most famous, I mean, most famous, but he's famous for uh, a little interaction he had where on an interview he's being asked, hey, you said that you were Jewish and that your parents and grandparents had connections to the Holocaust. We're finding out that that's not true. George's response is, oh, I said I was Jew-ish. No, I'm not Jewish. I I was Jewish. Whatever that means, right? I don't I don't draw the conclusion that he draws, I guess. I don't understand what that entails, but he thought that that was going to work for him and it it really is just one of the one of the many many things that he said that was absolutely wrong. It was an absolute lie. Well, he's charged with, you know, dozens of counts of credit card fraud, improper use of campaign funds, identity theft. While he hasn't been convicted on any of these things, it was enough for a majority of the House to say, we don't want you here, you're out. Here's the issue with that. I don't disagree with him being sent home. I think he deserves it. Um, but I think the point that he brings up in his defense is a good one, and that is, hey, there are a lot of things that people are accused of. If we're just going to start kicking people out of Congress because of the accusations, then maybe we should be a little more consistent, right? I mean, that precedent in as highly charged and politicized um, and divided uh, as we are 
as as a country and especially as government um that, that this is going to happen again right there there are going to be more votes on expulsion just like impeachment seems to be the the way forward if biden gets elected he's or wins election right is it going to stop with the hunter biden laptop or the corruption uh impeachment right if they impeach him before he's uh before the new election they're going to try to impeach him again right that's just what's going to happen if trump is back oh they're for sure going to impeach him right there's no doubt that they will even they'll try and they'll get it right they, they will impeach him i'm sure but is that going to actually make it through the Senate, actually kick him out. No, it's just, it's theater at this point. It's outrage theater. And people want the reaction. They want people to say, oh, that person's getting things done. Or, you know, we're, look at us, we're fighting the system and all this stuff with these meaningless accusations. And just, you know, to to borrow a word from Trump, um, witch hunts. And I agree. It's, it's not a good precedent to set, especially... When you think that just a few weeks ago, right, maybe a month ago, uh, Representative Jamal Bowman pulled a fire alarm as a way to delay a vote on the floor. Mind you, uh, delaying the vote and impeding the work of Congress is one of the charges that most of the January 6th protesters are in jail for right now. Well, luckily, Jamal Bowman is a Democrat. He's also in the position of Congress. Uh, so he gets a little slap on the wrist. It gets knocked down to a misdemeanor and that's the uh that's the worst of it right no no ethics investigation no you know vote for expulsion or anything like that from someone who's actively trying to disrupt the work of the house and then you know with this it's it's nice to see a little bit of consistency though across the board and that is um on the senate side you have senator bob menendez from New Jersey, and he is under investigation for, uh, you know, basically he he works on the uh, Foreign Relations Committee, right? And with that, he has ties and interests. Well, he shouldn't have any interests. That's the that's the whole thing. But he has exposure to a lot of foreign uh, people who are interested in influencing our politics. Turns out Egypt being one of them, there have been uh, FBI raids on his house where hundreds of thousands of dollars have been found tied and connected cars that have been connected as far as an influence peddling scheme with the senator. Um, this is all coming to, you know, give a more favorable uh, hand towards Egypt. And it looks like, you know, he still has his court date. But if we're just going on the charges, and that's what we're judging people on, well, his charges are a, are a lot more serious than, you know, Congressman Santos's. And Senator you know, John Fetterman from Pennsylvania, who has his own drama about him, you know, he's the one who suffered the stroke on the campaign trail, suffers to speak clearly, and, you know, there's serious doubt whether or not he's, uh, his cognitive abilities are becoming of a, of a senator. But one thing that he hasn't lost, I think, is his moral compass because he, he's standing up and he's saying, hey, if we're going to if we're going to play this game, then we need to play it fairly. And he's pushing to 
uh, impeach Senator Menendez. And I'm 100% for that, right? I think that the evidence is there and it's, it's absolutely insane that someone, someone who is doing that so blatantly, so obviously, is still pulling the levers and still there doing as much as he's doing with as much power as he has. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see if anything happens with uh, Menendez before um, the end of the end of his term or anything like that before his court date rather that's probably coming first. Um, But yeah, that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a mess that's going on. Outside of that, a couple nights ago, we had the debate. Um, There was a debate Fox news put on with uh, Sean Hannity as the moderator and Governor Gavin Newsom from California and Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida. They took the debate stage to basically compare and contrast the governing styles and the progress and all of the the great things about how their states are doing one against the other. Well, DeSantis is running for president, and Newsom, while he says he isn't running for president, there's a lot of reason to believe that he's at least waiting in the wings, hoping that Biden decides to step down and he doesn't actually want the job or he knows he can't do the job. And here comes Newsom to, you know, come in and save the day. So while he says he's not running for president, it's pretty obvious that he's actively campaigning this debate being an example. Well, there have been a lot of takes on it. I honestly thought it was underwhelming, uninspiring. Um, DeSantis is a guy who I think has a pretty good track record in his governing, right? He kept uh, Florida mostly open during the whole pandemic. He has run a state that encourages business, encourages people to move there and live there. There's a lot of issues there as well. Um, You know, one of them being that insurance companies now across the nation are using Florida as an example of the disasters and the way that those have been managed in Florida to then uh, spread those costs out among all Americans, which I don't necessarily think is fair. But, you know, to say that he doesn't have a, a, well, he doesn't have a hand in that. But that is, you know, one small example of something that I think he could, you know, maybe look into and, uh, and work with. But that's besides the point. Um, everybody knows Florida's doing all right. California, on the other hand, there's a lot of problems. There are a lot of problems. I love California. I really wish I could live there someday. I think it would be awesome. I think, you know, Santa Barbara is amazing. I would love to live, you know, right there, base of the mountain. Who knows? Maybe someday I'll be able to afford the $15 million house you got you to gotta buy to live comfortably in California. Probably not, but, you know, hey, I can dream. What I'm saying is, California's great, but their government has run it, you know, run it wild and and ragged. There's a lot of things wrong with it. Obviously, you know, it's interesting that Governor Newsom, who was the former mayor of San Francisco, San Francisco was used as the example of a city that was once, you know, a beacon. It was once one of the greatest cities in the world. And now, as DeSantis likes to show during the uh, the debate, he holds up a map with a lot of brown plots on it. And he asks, you know, do you know what these plots are? 
their poop, right? It's, it's, uh, it's an app that tracks the human feces from homeless encampments and where they are in the city so that city can go and clean them up. The idea being, well, they're all over the city. Every street is covered. You can't tell where the street is because it's all marked. And the city's not really doing anything about it until there becomes a, you know, there comes a giant APAC conference in San Francisco. President Xi Jinping of China shows up and they decide to clean it all up, put nice fancy flower planters out and move all the homeless encampments so that you can't see them anymore. Now that doesn't stop uh, camera crews from, I think it was Poland or one of the one of the Eastern European countries got assaulted and all of their camera equipment stolen while they were there. So it's a mess. It's a mess. No matter how you try to clean it up, but that's a that that adds you know salt to the wound for a lot of Californians who say, "Hey, it was that easy. That's what it took. It took a communist dictator showing up for a party and a couple of work words at a conference. You guys cleaned up for him." Newsom, he he stands at a at a press conference and he says, you know what? People are complaining about that and they're right. But hey, when you got visitors, you clean your house up. Well, what does that imply? When you don't have visitors, you just leave your dishes in the sink, don't scrub your toilets, you know, drop crumbs and crush Doritos into the couch cushions. I guess if you're at a Newsom's house, maybe that sounds okay. That's not anywhere that I want to live. So Anyway, overall, I thought it was uninspiring. I thought there's something there's something about debates that I think um, they can be very well done, but you need the right people debating. And politicians are horrible with it, right? They're awful with it. They come with their facts, and then when they're presented with a fact that they don't agree with, they say wrong, false, that's a lie. And they don't they don't have anything to back it up, right? There is no there is no cohesive evidence proposed. It's just here's my claim. And then the other side is going to say, that's a lie, you're a liar. And they both just scream over each other the entire time. And it doesn't it doesn't help anybody. At least it didn't help me, right? I, I see them basically as I saw them before. And that is Newsom's a liar. He's corrupt. He's blind to how California has become. No, California is not all bad. Yes, does it have a lot of people that are very important? And, you know, is, does its economy, is its economy incredibly important for the U.S.? Sure. But is it a shining example of what, you know, a well-run state should be? No. And I don't think, I don't think anybody believes that, right? If you do believe that, where have you been? Obviously not living in California, or if you do believe it and you live in California, it's because you have enough money to avoid those problems, to ignore it, right? Anyway, and then and then DeSantis and the dude is just goofy. He's he is unlikable, unfortunately, in in front of the camera when he's talking to people. He's just it's hard for me to look at him and go, man, I want to vote for that guy. That guy's inspiring, right? He. I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but basically he just, he seems goofy. He doesn't seem charismatic. His entire image, and I don't think this is, I, I mean, I think this is what he has to work with. And so it's not, a, it's not a fault of his necessarily, 
but he just has his record with Florida. And frankly, there's a lot of issues that I think he was able to do in Florida because they have a super majority in Congress, right? They're able to ram through legislation, whether, you know, there's debate on it or not, they can pretty much get what they want done. And DeSantis will be able to sign it. That's not the case in the federal government. So all of the successes that he had in Florida, I really wonder with as polarized and as split in the narrow majorities that exist there, how much he's going to be able to get done. That's not just through executive action, because as we all know, executive action means absolutely jack squat, right? All of the immigration things that uh, Trump was able to get done, uh, they were canceled day one. Biden came in and he canceled all of them. And we see the results, record-breaking immigration. The, the most people who have crossed the border at any time of in history and every month it goes up, right? So I think if DeSantis comes in and he thinks that he can just fix everything the same way that he fixed it in Florida and he has no plan to actually do it in a way outside of, you know, executive order, I really doubt that any changes that he's going to make are going to be lasting. And if anything, they're going to be even more polarizing because he's not trying to find consensus. He's just trying to find wins. And I'm all for wins. I think those are great. I would love to see the things that I want to get done, done more quickly. But I'd also like to see them done uh, semi-permanently, right, if possible. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, someone who um, I, don't have, I don't have my mind made up yet. But I think it's very interesting that this election is something unique in recent memory. And that is that uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., he is, you know, RFK, he, he's doing pretty well. He's doing pretty well. In the polls, he's polling, you know, tw upper 20s, right? I mean, he, he's got a piece of the pie that no other independent candidate has had in a long time, right? Now, whether that makes a difference and it just, you know, it puts further pressure on Biden and Trump, right? Because he's polling, what, what's unique about him, obviously independents, they're in the position to do this, right? Because they sit somewhere in the middle is he's polling from both sides. He's polling from Republicans and he's polling from Democrats. And the question is, is he going to be able to pull enough to himself to win the presidency, or is he going to pull just enough from one of the sides to damage that person's candidacy and ensure that, you know, whoever wins? Is he going to pull more from Biden to help Trump, or is he going to pull more from Trump to help Biden? I really, I really wonder if um, he had more of the national platform that everyone else is being given that he would be able to, to do these. I think, honestly, any debate between him and the Republicans, for example, or him and Biden, him and Trump, um, him and Trump would be unwatchable. Uh, Trump wouldn't want to stick to the the issues. He would want to, you know, fight on, uh, tear him down personally and different things like that. And, and I just don't think that that's RFK's uh, personality. Um, he wouldn't want to engage in that. And he said that. So I really don't see that happening. And Trump doesn't think he has to debate with anybody Uh because he's he's so far ahead, right? And and I get it. Things were going really good when he was president. They were. On paper, they were. Now we're Americans, you know, more energized for being American and loving one another and working together. Not at all, right? That that did not happen. Um, 
and it's not going to happen if he gets elected again, right? That he, he is not the person to bring people together, but he could get things done. So I think that RFK definitely an interesting person to watch. I, 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 I really do agree with a lot of his opinions. I don't agree with all of them. I honestly think um, there are probably big, big issues that he wouldn't address or he might even address in a way contrary to how I would want them done. You know, immigration, for example, right? I, I think he could treat that more as an amnesty issue rather than, you know, a border issue. And that could that could go in a route that I don't agree with. So we'll see. There are some things, but definitely his his desire to clean up Washington and to restore some integrity to the whole apparatus, I could get behind that. So we'll, we'll see. Um, internationally, things are still wild in the Middle East. There has been no stop to what's going on over there between Israel and Hamas and Iran and Lebanon. Um, there has been constant attacks on U.S. military bases by, and they always say Iranian proxies, right? It's like these these proxies. But at what point is it just, it's Iran who's, who's doing these things? I mean, there was, an, just a couple of days ago, there was an Iranian drone that was shot down by one of the U.S. ships in the Gulf, right? It got too close. They didn't release what it was doing. Um, but there have been other drones that have flown around, taken pictures, up until state media in Iran was, you know, broadcasting the captured video of U.S. aircraft carriers in the Gulf, um, these drones flying over and surveilling, you know, the U.S. ships. They're they're so proud of their ability to do this. Well, I guess, you know, they went a step too far and the U.S. shot one down. It's not the first time we've shot down missiles, countless other drones. And this is all within the last few weeks. There have been multiple attacks on U.S. bases. Um, so far, you know, only one person has died, but multiple people have been injured, uh, some of them severely. And, you know, Biden is hesitant to have a strong reaction for fear of provoking Iran. Now, yeah, we don't want to get into every fight. We don't want to pick every fight. But I wonder where the line is. I really do. I wonder uh, when you put the hammer down and you say, hey, enough is enough. You cannot keep attacking. Um our soldiers like this, you know, you, you can't keep this intimidation sphere going on in the Middle East and think you're going to get away with it. Right. I think on a, on a grand scale, we should be getting out of a lot of these conflicts. I, I don't think we're helping. And I think, um, there's really no actual, there's no leadership. There's no vision that is communicated clearly enough to give me any confidence and a lot of people confidence that, Hey, it's worth it for us to be there, right? And there are arguments on both sides. But Israel is continuing to bomb Hamas. Uh, this comes after a recent uh, prisoner exchange, right? So basically, there was a negotiation between Hamas leaders and Israel for the transfer of hostages that Hamas had. Now, what I found out that I didn't know before is that the December 7th attacks were organized by Hamas, but it was not just members of Hamas that went across into Israel and took people. It was 
other smaller factions of terrorist organizations, as well as just regular people from the Gaza Strip, right? People who wanted to involve themselves in it, and they just got carried up in it. And now Hamas, they don't necessarily know where all of these hostages are. They're not in control of every single one of them. Um, that's something that I wasn't aware of before. Makes it a little more difficult to gather them all up and return them all when you don't have a central you know, controlling body over that. But nonetheless, there were a few uh, that were returned. And the on, on the Israeli side, prisoners who were convicted of very serious crimes were returned something like 10 to 1 for this kind of stuff. It, you know, it was, it was huge. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, but it, it does offer some progress. And one of the conditions was during these prisoner exchanges, if Hamas agreed to exchange or release these hostages, then a certain, a certain amount of time would be given for a ceasefire. Right, they wouldn't be bombing Hamas at the same time as receiving these hostages. Well, that didn't last very long because Hamas couldn't even keep the ceasefire. They started attacking and launching rockets, which led Israel to do more precision strikes. Right, more strikes on Hamas tunnels and everything like that. And you know, it's it's a mess. It, it's unfortunate because there is no there is no good way for Israel to make it out of this with Hamas still being there. But it's not easy to get rid of them completely. And also they're losing a lot of the international support for this. The US, a lot of uh, Europe is being very, um, you know, stalwart and and remaining uh, positive and pro-Israel. But at the same time, you know, I think uh, Biden, he's kind of hedging his bets. He's saying he's playing a little both ways every once in a while where he'll talk about maximum restraint while also saying that Israel has a, you know, an unapologetic right to defend itself kind of thing. And and those two things don't really go hand in hand. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. So um, in their position, it's really frustrating. Something that I think um, opened my eyes to the situation over there. And, and mind you, I don't know a whole ton of it, but learning about it has been pretty interesting. And that is there's a, there's a podcast called the martyr made podcast and a host, he goes and he breaks down over, I think it's five or six segments about uh, the middle East and the, and the conflict between Palestine and uh, the Jews and, and Israel. And he goes through the history of it. And one of the things that stood out to me in the early episodes, and this is about 15 to 20 hours worth of material, right? So it's a, it's a big undertaking to listen to it all. I would highly recommend it. Martyr made podcast. Um, and let me, hold on, let me, let me check and see what it's actually, uh, what the episodes are called because it's fear and loathing in the new Jerusalem, right? So it's hosted by Daryl Cooper and it's fear and loathing in the new Jerusalem. And there are um, six, six different uh, episodes for it. And in the, and in the first two episodes, he talks about um, pre-Israel, that area, and World War One and World War Two, and what came after it. And you find that, man, Britain. Great Britain really messed this up. 
they messed it up so bad. They were making promises to everybody, right? The Arabs, there there were groups of Arabs who were pro-Nazi. There were groups of Arabs who were pro-ally. And Great Britain was making promises to those pro-ally Arabs. Hey, you'll get your own state. You help us, you'll get independence, right, from the Ottoman Empire who they were fighting at the time um, in World War I. And then, you know, they're making deals with Israel. So you get things like the Balfour Decree. You know, the, the, the Arab Agreement is, is known as, you know, the Sykes-Pico Agreement. The uh, Balfour Decree was basically Great Britain saying, you know what, the Jews do deserve a home, and we're going to make that home here in Palestine uh, under these conditions and everything like that. They, they stopped short of calling it a state. But that didn't stop Zionist leaders um, from interpreting that as such, basically holding that as a promise to go over there and start their, you know, the beginnings, the seedlings of their new nation. At the same time, under the table, Great Britain is making this deal with France saying, oh, hey, we're going to we're going to cut this up. We're going to carve this up. We're going to take half. We're going to give you guys half. And uh, guess what? That doesn't include any independent Arab nation. And it also doesn't include an independent Jewish nation, right? So when all of this is said and done, the lines that are drawn and the people that are, you know, promises are broken, promises are made, and it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. And that's how it started, right? You try to think like, oh man, has has it not been figured out yet? Well, no surprise. It was probably the worst arranged deal for all parties involved in the history of deals. So uh, something something also, it didn't start off religious, right? I think now there's there's a religious component to these, these Islamist groups fighting against Israel, right? It's, a, it's God that's commanding the destruction of this kind of stuff. But in the beginning, that, that didn't exist. That wasn't part of the conversation between any of these parties. It was all political. It was all political, which leads me to believe that it's nothing different today, right? It's, it's politics masquerading as religion. And, you know, so there, I, I do believe that there is a political solution to it. I have no idea what that is. But, you know, things are not, things are not getting better yet. There is still significant risk of the U.S. becoming involved in a broader engagement, and that is uh, that is worrisome. So that is just something to keep a something to keep an eye on. And before the end of the year, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, there's the politics of the day, right? Let's talk about something pretty dang cool. So I'm a huge fan of SpaceX. I think rockets are awesome. In seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade, I did the science fair and I was testing model rockets that I made myself out of butcher paper and I shaped all the nose cones and I had this experiment to test, you know, which shape, if it was a if it was a cone or a parabolic cone, you know, what would create the optimal uh, optimal flight path for the rocket and everything like that. Obviously, I had no idea what I was talking about. I knew like two or three words of lingo, but I thought these rockets blowing up and shooting straight up into the sky were pretty dope. And that has never left me. What's going on right now with SpaceX? Super exciting. 
So SpaceX is the most successful by leaps and bounds private rocket company in the world, right? They have won various NASA contracts. They're currently the uh, contract awardee for the rockets that will carry the Artemis missions to return to the moon. So that's a huge deal. But one of the things that they've been working on is they've got their Starship, right? Starship is massive. It's as big as a building, right? And this is this is the ship, this is the spacecraft that sits on top of the super heavy rocket, right? And so this this rocket that has 33 of their Raptor engines. One thing about SpaceX is they name everything pretty cool, right? It's it's run by Elon Musk. So he's just he's just a big nerd, right? He's just a he's just a big kid, big nerd, and he doesn't have any shame over it. So he just he loves having a good time and it is reflected in his work, which I think is really fun. But uh they recently did a test, a launch test in Texas to launch this was the, this was the second one, right? The first one blew up Starship and the Super Heavy rocket. Uh both blew up pretty early on in the launch. Um but what they do is these aren't these aren't necessarily failures, they're just learning opportunities, right? They know it's not going to go off perfectly the first time. So what do they do? Well, they take all that information, they re-engineer things and then they try again in a in a few months. They're actually but what's cool is they're able to do it so much more rapidly than the government. They're just so much more efficient. And so a few weeks ago, they did the second launch, and this one went way better. The first one failed when the Starship went to separate from the booster engine, right, the Super Heavy, and it blew up because they couldn't separate. This one, they did get separation, and you know what the how this is supposed to work is that super heavy booster then flips and rotates it's reusable and it comes down and it it's it's rockets reignite and it stops it just short of you know hitting the ground and it lands the starship also does that but it obviously goes into space completes orbit all of these different things so this test was just to get it to just sub orbit and then land just north of hawaii well the the booster did its job, got it up to the altitude that it needed, detached, and then a few seconds later, the booster exploded, right? It it was wild to watch. It was awesome. You got to look up videos of it. It's super cool. Um, but it did blow up, so they didn't get to land it. And then Starship, as it was going, they never got contact with it again because it also blew up. So you know, there, there isn't word yet just on what changes are being made for the next one, but getting the separation, getting it to the altitude that it needed to be in, um, all of the different information they, they were able to gather, they are progressing so quickly on this and it is monumental. It is huge. These are the biggest rockets that have ever been made. And, you know, they're the things that eventually Elon Musk is, is looking at putting people on Mars right? They're the ones, they are the rockets that are going to take people to the moon again. They're the rockets that are going to take people to Mars. Um, they're the ones that lift all of the Starlink satellites into orbit. And, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's incredible. I think it's, I think it's awesome. So definitely, definitely fun to watch. I'm a huge fan. So I, I just want to, I want to see one of these launches in person. 
there's ways to do it. Obviously, you can just go down there, but there's also ways to get passes at the facilities and be part of like a like a launch party kind of thing. I think that would be I think that would be so dope. So we'll see. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll be able to do that one day. But keep an eye on it. I think it's awesome. I think um, there's there's plenty more to come with that, and I'll be for sure sharing every time something new happens with them. I'll, I'll shout it out. But thank you all for listening, and just heads up again that other podcast. If you're wanting to learn more about the history of Israel Palestine. Um, the conflict there, it's the martyr made podcast. Uh, I found it on Spotify, but it's on everything. And you can listen to this podcast, the Skylar Holt show on Spotify, Apple music. And I really look forward to speaking to y'all again. So take care, have a great week.